This week's episode is brought to you by the Talkbuster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talkbuster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. And welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is okay. I'm very tired because I've had to stay up late the last few nights trying to watch some movies and shows that you had me watch. <laughs> it's hard to find time to do these kind of things a lot because I have a lot of like different commitments, but... I had a, an okay day, you know, putting out some fires at work, and now I'm here, and yeah, I'm ready to go. Woo! To be fair, in my defense, you knew you had to watch these movies last month. True, but I've had a lot going on, so... I'm just saying, you knew this was coming up. Fair enough. Anyways, before we begin, we're going to start by thanking our illustrious legion of patrons that, you know, allow Axel and I to argue over petty details like... You know, notifications, movies, and personal free time. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Orion McCann, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Stephen, and Arthur Crane. Now, if you like what we do and you want to make sure we keep doing it, maybe consider heading on over to patreon.com slash geekswithshields. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, it helps us produce the show, and there's all sorts of neat perks and bonuses. And you've seen the title of what you're listening to, so you know we're doing another Director Smackdown, which means we bring our friend Chris back. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. This should this should be fun. I don't think it'll be as contentious as the last two, but you never know. No, it definitely won't be as um, uh, drawn out either, I would imagine. Well, because in this know. case, we are, we're looking at the career of director James Wan, but we are specifically looking at his horror movies. Yes, he has directed several films outside of that genre, like Aquaman and whatnot, but for purposes of this conversation, we're focusing on, on that genre of his. And it's still Bootoberin. Let's be honest. I like Aquaman, but I don't know anyone that's going to put Aquaman above Insidious. Or not Insidious, The Conjuring. Ooh. I'm just saying, the man is one of the modern masters of horror, and I, I put him right up there with, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name, guy that did Us. Oh, yeah, oh. Jordan Peele. Yeah, Peele. Yes. Yeah, jo no, jo I Jordan Peele and James Wan, and then um, Leigh Whannell, who's James Wan's writing partner and the director of The Amazing Upgrade. Are all the way up there. Upgrade so good. <laughs> I anyway. need to watch that, but no. Yes, I can yes, consider uh, James Wan is one of the contemporary masters of horror. So we're going to, you know, break down and argue out like we do with these his, you know, horror movies. Unfortunately, there's not too many, so hopefully we can get through this without it going on all night. Probably. And it also saves us from having to talk about the Fast and the Furious because he directed one of those too. Uh, fast yeah. Seven or Fast Six? Yeah. One of he one. he direct he directed the one with all the problems. <laughs> oh well, uh, he that's not his element. I would argue. No, no, no. I know what I mean is no. I thought the movie came out great. Um, he he directed the one that uh, um, Paul, 
Walker died during. Oh. Uh, so, if anything, he directed the most viewed one. Hmm. Which I is don't kind know. of interesting. Much like the Michael Bay Smackdown, I don't want to watch a bunch of Fast and Furious movies. Man, I was uh, at I was at uh, work today, and I was talking about doing the director Smackdown, and literally the first thing the person I was talking to said is, are you going to do Michael Bay? It's like, eventually. <laughs> I'm so sorry I even brought it up, but it, it's going for- to force me to watch a couple of his movies I've never seen, so at least yeah. as a completionist, that'll be fun. Anyway, so for... God damn you, Chris. So for today's discussion, we've got six movies to get through, and Ulrich decided to break this up into uh, one-to-one comparisons in rounds. So to start with, we're comparing first movies in what turned out to be pretty long franchises, Insidious and Conjuring. Yes, both of which are still going on as franchises. They're still uh, making... Okay, the last Conjuring movie... There hasn't been a Conjuring 3 yet, but Insidious Chapter 3... But Conjuring is a giant franchise. Okay, the Conjuring Annabelle verse. and Nun are connected. Yes, yeah, La right. Llorona and lots of terrible movies. But we're not talking about those because James Wan is only a producer or, in the case of Annabelle Comes Home, he helped write it. Yeah, whereas Insidious, what, the, the final chapter just came out? Like, the or last final key. key. The, the last, last key. key. Something like that. That's yeah. not bad. It's not good. That's all I'll say about that one. Again, he just produced that one and his buddy, he helped his buddy direct. We're comparing yeah, the, first movies. Insidious and, 3 and 4 were handed off to the guy that made most of the Saw sequels. Holy yeah. shit, there's an Insidious 4? Yeah, that's the last key. There was an Insidious 3. And an Insidious, Insidious 3 was the last key, key wasn't it? No. It's no, Chris's there right. was... It's, th- it's chapter 3, then the last key. Yeah. Huh, I don't remember chapter 3 at all. Chapter three's not bad. Neither one of them are bad. But that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. So, so before hold on, before we jump into it, I want to I want to put something out there. I don't understand the genre. <laughs> I don't. I I can I can like from a logical standpoint, I can understand why people enjoy it. But it, for me, it's like when people say I don't understand new metal or something like that. It's like I <laughs> I just I don't get it. Uh, the only horror movies I like, and I realized this while watching one of the movies that we're going to talk about, and I'll talk about this then, but the only horror movies I like, it's not the horror elements of them I like. I like horror movies that have interesting mythology. That's why Phantasm's like one of my favorite uh, movies in the genre, quote-unquote, because it's this weird Lovecraftian, like, pre-Slenderman, body-snatching, and, like, all these elements that are really interesting. I uh, That's why I don't like Halloween as a series, because it's just... Dude with a knife. I know they introduced some weird, like, cult stuff in one of the movies, but no one cares about that. It's just a serial killer, and I'm not into that. So, watching all these movies in this, like, quick span of time, I I really was latching on to a lot of things that were exactly the same. And and Woonvog, who was a lot more into horror movies than me, was watching uh, one of them with me. He said that horror is actually a lot like comedy, and that it's very easy to fall into like very standard ways of doing things that you just twist a little bit. Like how after watching these movies in a row, you know, if I see a scene where there's a mirror, I'm like, oh, well, something's going to be in the mirror. So, you know, it's not not a criticism. It's just that because I don't, I don't get sucked into it, it. It's harder for me to not notice those things. And it's also why the movie that I liked the most in this 
collection of movies is the one that the the one that I want to talk about afterwards. Only one of them I really wanted to talk about afterwards. Anyway, my point of bringing all this up is that I consider my opinion when it comes to this lesser to yours. I know that's a weird thing because everyone has an opinion, but I am not so arrogant to think that I um, am as capable of talking on the subject as you guys because I don't really get the genre. So, See, what I find interesting is I know his, you know, style of filmmaking, and that's what I love is how he does it. And you're right, there are certain things. Always scan the background because he hides stuff in the background of his movies. Uh, how he plays with noise, and I mean, there's even kind of you know are the fun things. He's kind of a bit of thing for creaky doors, which is kind of basic, but still. This is why I love him as a director is he has very noticeable fingerprints, which in my opinion is what makes his horror movies not only so scary, but just so enjoyable. All right. So, all right. So let's start off here with, with the citizen conjuring. I watched conjuring first. And again, I, I don't know about you guys, um, but this is the first time I'd watched all these movies within the last week. So they're very fresh for me. And it was a completely new experience again, because I don't watch horror movies, generally speaking. And the conjuring, was i mean for me it was just all like i got i I understand i think (laughs) but i will say that like the most enjoyment i got out of it was i was watching it with a couple of friends of mine and we know because ed and lorraine warren were actual people and frauds (laughs) we started coming up with all right all right if they're actually frauds and sometimes they say the house is not haunted why do they choose which houses are haunted oh we know why it's because they have something worth stealing. <laughs> so that became our joke that we kept telling throughout the movie. It's like, oh, this that's a really nice suit of samurai armor they have here. Oh, it's cursed. We'll take it off your hands. Oh, that's, that that's fucking hilarious. samurai armor. That's hilarious, man. Yeah, so that became like our main thing. But anyway, joke aside, I thought that uh, Conjuring... The thing that struck me most after watching all these is that Conjuring was the best paced, I think, of all these movies, and definitely better paced than Insidious. Like, I like the ending to Insidious a lot, but the first half of that movie is so dull. Interesting. No, I have very distinct memories of The Conjuring because it was one of my, it's one of my favorite horror movies and one of the single worst movie-going experiences of my life. Because, no joke, there was a group of people that walked in and sat in the very last row behind us. And one guy sat in the stairs and talked to the girl directly behind us the entire fucking movie. Wow. No matter what we said to him, no matter what we threw at him, no matter what we did, he would not shut the fuck up. But all that said, this movie to me was so well crafted, I was able to drown him out and enjoy the movie still. Um, I agree with you. It's probably the best paced. This is the movie where I feel that Juan is really finding his style in, again, hiding scares in the background and using noise or the lack thereof to kind of build tension because he's these silent scenes and you're like, okay, that means there's going to be a jump scare and then it doesn't happen. Or sometimes it will happen or sometimes there'll be music and then a scare. So you're constantly going, wait a second, how do I you know, know when the scare is going to come? Because a lot of times in horror, music is used as a cue to let you know, okay, this is what's coming. Absolutely. Um, you know, Insidious and Conjuring, I really love the pairing you did here, um, Ulrich. Because it, like you said, Insidious and Conjuring, 
he really seems to start to find his style and his footing when you get to The Conjuring. But um, I like having both of these movies paired together because, you know, Insidious came after two movies we're going to talk about later. And um, Insidious was like the clerks of James Wan's horror directing because he he stripped down his budget. Um, oh, yeah. Ins- you can tell Insidious, watching this, it was made on a shoestring. Insidious, I think, was either it wasn't the first Blumhouse movie. I think it was the movie that inspired Blumhouse to become a thing is when it ended up happening. Um, where he said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to challenge myself. And I think it was made for eight million bucks and it made yeah. like one hundred and twenty or something crazy like that. So return on investment is crazy. Well, and, it's two locations and maybe five cast members. Right. And so Insidious has a special place in my heart because one, it's um, it's demon design is really cool, even though it just looks like Darth Maul. But I really well, like the demon. In all fairness, it's basically Darth Maul mixed with Freddy Krueger and Satan. Right. Well, so, Darth Maul isn't meant to be invocative of the devil. So six of one, half dozen of the other. Can right. I say, uh, before we get too deep into it, that even yeah. though um, I think The Conjuring, my vote is going to go to The Conjuring in this round, while I think Conjuring overall was a, a better experience for me, my favorite scene between the two movies is a scene in Insidious, which is the the dream description where the creature's just in the corner and all you see is its arm and the arm kind of creaks upward and the finger yep. kind of creeps. Like, that scene is so well done like there's no single scene in Conjuring that stands out to me to the same level. Kind of the one where like she she's in the wall and you see the witch's feet. That was kind of cool. But that that creature in the corner just pointing at the kid in the bed, like that was so awesome. That was deeply unsettling the first time I watched. I'm like, oh, get the fuck out of here, you creepy motherfucker. Uh, I don't abs- know why. Absolutely, and and sound sound is such a big um play like you guys said in both of these old creepy music sound effects the staring off into the darkness and hearing like whispers and demons speak but not actually seeing what's there i love that stuff in insidious where insidious really breaks down to me is it's got this really great um what do they call it the other where's what's the name of the place they go the further the further i absolutely the design of the further to me is one of the coolest things james wan has ever come up with it's like right out of freaking silent hill it just creeps the absolute shit out of me yeah my my problem is when you get to the place where the demon exists it's where the budget of the movie really shows that they it loses something there it's like they they reached a little too far for eight million bucks whereas with the conjuring there's not a single thing in that movie that feels cheap even though it's a cheap movie Every scare, every effect is practical and well-crafted. The um, the possessed mother with the chair flip in the basement at the end is, like, straight out of, like, the best of 1970s, like, Rosemary's Baby-style horror flicks. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie by Ty West before called The House of the Devil. It sounds familiar. But um, it, it, it actually, um, James Wan and Ty West I had gone back and forth trying to decide who ripped off who for their opening credits. Because it uses like the same font and the same titles, but it's going for the same thing. It's going for a very stripped down, bare bones, like spook show kind of a movie. And The Conjuring wins this round for me just out of pure unsettling. The Conjuring freaked the shit out of me when I watched it the first time. And it, it did it the same way Paranormal Activity did. I watched it, thought nothing of it, like I liked the movie, and then I woke up in the middle of the night and like couldn't sleep. And everything freaking freaked me out. And it just kept going back to that damn movie. There's just something about 
the the witches and the ghosts and everything in both of these movies, but a lot in The Conjuring, just felt so real. They felt like they were physical presences that could actually do some damage. And um, I love that a lot of it was done in like well lit sequences in The mm-hmm. Conjuring. You know, no, some... that's where he excels and he's hiding the ghosts in the background. And you're like, wait, yeah. what's that? Did I see that? It's very uh, haunting on Hill House. Is you're like, well, wait a second, what's that in the background? Was that a chair? Oh God, no, it's a ghost. When's he gonna scare me? Wait, where'd the ghost go? And then boom! Oh God, mother! I even knew it was there, and it still got me. Well, it's funny because for for my money, right? Like like I said, I I if the if the Insidious was like twenty minutes shorter, shaved off the beginning, then I probably would easily pick it because when it came down to the mythology and what was happening with the the creature and the further and the astral projection stuff i found all that just way more interesting than the satanist witch spirit that like but that's kind of what's brilliant with the conjuring also is that conjuring is extremely like you talked about insidious being stripped down but insidious is still playing around with a lot of like high level conceptual mythology conjuring is basically as stripped down as you can get when it comes to its concepts it's just a witch ghost that that's it there's like really nothing more complicated going on. Whereas they kind of go more into what they are and how they work. And I really like that part. And, you know, it kind of goes my whole personal belief in extremely angry, bad stuff happens. It kind of leaves a remnant. And you well, my, know... my, my point of bringing that up, though, is that that's not a inherently good or bad thing. That's a matter of what is right for the story. And I True. think and that's why I'm saying that with uh, with insidious i like that more complicated mythology more but it just takes too long to get there <laughs> but conjuring I disagree, is well honestly. for me that's the experience i had is i was very bored yeah. for most well, for the first half of the movie <laughs> i'm going to go with conjuring as well because i think it's a better movie because i like parts of insidious but i actually kind of like the slow burn build up and the unsettlingness of what's going on my problem with insidious is kind of twofold one one hasn't figured out his score so it's always someone angrily banging on a piano or a harpsichord or whatever that was for you know the scares and it gets really old really fast to the point that slag and i were joking well someone stop banging on that damn piano already i'm trying to watch a movie well i also feel like conjuring and i don't know how to phrase this without exaggerating there's nothing really wrong with conjuring like Nothing glaring, anyway. Like, there's nothing I can really point to to be like that bothered me. So there's it doesn't it doesn't. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I know. My other big thing that bugs me about Insidious is that ending is kind of dumb. Like he goes to where the demon is lurking and it's listening to the song that I only know from SpongeBob. So that really immediately takes me out of it. The whole thing looks kind of chintzy, and then all of a sudden, the ghosts are busting through everywhere, and they're attacking everybody like a zombie horde. Like, I feel like he didn't know how to end this movie. Well, and then when he does decide how to end the movie, it's with the the creepy face from the opening credit sequence that was showing up in the background of everything, just jumping out, you know, yeah, taking over mixed, our main character. I have mixed and, feelings about that as well. I didn't and, and, like that the first time. And it's I loved it the first time, but I you know I I watched both of these films again about a year or two ago with family members who I was like you got to see these movies they're both really cool and everyone resoundingly liked The Conjuring more even though I'm kind of on the same page with Axel in that I like the themes and I like the 
the layers and the world they're trying to build with Insidious a lot more than The Conjuring. It's just The Conjuring just works as a straight narrative a lot better. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's very complete. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't have to make more Conjuring movies, <laughs> but they did, but they didn't have to. Whereas yeah. Insidious kind of needed to bleed into Insidious 2 to kind of help kind of hone its mythology in. And when we get into talking about Insidious 2, I'll talk about why I don't think that works in its favor. But, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I love, um, I love both movies so much and it's awesome to be able to see a director hone their craft and the conjuring just feels like everybody was so confident in what they were making with the conjuring. Like the, the actors are all in on it. The script is all in on it. The visuals are very consistent. The score is very consistent and they didn't try to go too far. And also it's rated R and it doesn't need to be like it's not super gory, but it just hits a little harder than Insidious. Like Insidious is a nasty movie, but The Conjuring, like everybody feels in so much danger mm-hmm. in, in The Conjuring, like at all times. And I, I just really liked that about it. I like how both movies kind of answered that age old question. If your house is haunted, why don't you move? And in Insidious, they do move. And then in The Conjuring, it's like there's like seven of us. Where are we going to go exactly? And I love how in um, uh, the Conjuring films, and I think th- this kind of bleeds more into the second one, that it 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 doesn't just follow the people in the house; like it follows everyone that tries to fucking help them. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so we we all agree unanimously it's Conjuring. Sorry, Insidious, but you just weren't quite there yet. And Conjuring was kind of like, as you put it, uh, no, you said well, yeah. Anyway. Now, I'm going to probably be a spoil sport a bit when it comes to Insidious 2 and Conjuring 2, which is our next pairing. Spoiler. So why don't you guys go ahead first? You want me to start, uh, Ulrich? Yeah, go ahead and start on this one since I started with the last one. Okay, so um, it's actually a good part to get to because, well, The Conjuring, I I really appreciated for being a self-contained story. And, you know, like Axel had mentioned, you know, it's just about witches. But I like that. It's kind of, you know, it's very um, relatable, I guess. Um, You know, it's something you could think of, oh, something bad happened in this house and it's directly affecting me and there's not much more going on there than that. Um, Insidious had that more far-reaching, kind of more amorphous thing that allows an open door for more, um, you know, weird stuff to happen, like with the further and everything. Then you get to Insidious 2, which I love any sequel that starts immediately where the last one left off. I love that about it. Like, it's just like, yeah, we kind of saw the last movie and know that Patrick Wilson is um, possessed now. But the movie kind of takes its time and you as the audience know that, but his family doesn't. And and I loved that. The problem is when you get to the reveal of what this spirit was, it, it's it, instead of it being something like an Annabelle or, you know, the thing with the nun where it, like, has this more creepy layered, there's a demon involved. It's just, so it was kind of a, it was a murderer who, you know, was evil and did some awful things. And it tries to yeah, get this yeah. more human humanistic no. thing. And I'm sorry, to me, like, that's exactly what I'm talking about with the, the mythology kind of thing. Like, I was super interested in the mythology of the the red-faced demon. And then Insidious 2 is like, nah, it's just some cross-dressing It's a Norman killer. Bates, dude. Yeah. yeah well. And not that that's not creepy, but that belonged in a different movie. Well, You know what I mean? If you have one of two options, either you don't explain any more about what this old woman is and you build a story off of that, or you do and you make it interesting. And... It wasn't. I mean, 
I think your brother, Chris, talked about it best. And he's like, you know, sometimes you overexplain a monster and it's not scary anymore. And that's right. That's, that's exactly, exactly what they did. And, and that, that was a bummer because all in all, I like the movie. You know, I think I think the scares hit the characters are, you know, they dig into them more. It's just the creepy stuff that they just they ruined it for me. It's like and I know in Insidious 3 and The Last Key, they they do some different stuff. And I liked that about those. But we're not talking about those here. So. Then, then that brings in The Conjuring 2, which brings us, first and foremost, the thing I love about The Conjuring 2 is how different looking of a movie, and not just because they changed from being in the US to the UK, and not because the whole cast is British, or anything like that. It's just, it's a different filmed movie. Like, Juan is definitely playing around with the fact that he's grown as a filmmaker, he's got a little bit more money, so it's a lot more like a David Fincher movie. There's a lot of incredible moving through windows and downstairs camera angles, and it's just a gorgeous looking movie. Um, And I like that, that it can be a sequel, because we're doing these Warren family compartmentalized stories, it can just be a different thing. Um, and I love that about it, but it, it to me is, is just too jumbled. Whereas the original Conjuring was like, oh man, you know, we've got this, this through line story of these witches in this house and this is what's tormenting everyone who's ever lived there. In the sequel, it's like, okay, well, there's this thing and it's kind of doing this stuff and it's coming after this family and these kids, but it can look like this guy with a hat and then the it could also, man. yeah, which is all really creepy in and of itself. But it's it's almost like they're trying to retcon it into being a little bit more like what Axel was talking about. The Insidious was where it like has more of a mythology and more of this stuff. Well, yeah, because the nun is super interesting. But, but it's but it's doing it kind of cheaply, and and I and I love the scares. And Juan crafts a hell of a horror movie, but it, it just left me kind of going, this isn't. And then with the whole Amityville thing at the beginning, which is the most rebuked as being total bullshit thing the Warrens ever did, hmm. um, you know, sticking that in at the beginning is just kind of weird. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. before we get – I have a – nitpick is too weak a word, but criticism is too strong a word. So I don't, I just want to – like I don't really want to hold this against the movie, but I can't help but bring this up. The, the In The Conjuring 1, it never bothered me that I was aware that the Warrens are frauds in reality. Cause it was very easy to separate to, all right, no, the Warrens in this movie are fictionalized versions of what if they weren't frauds essentially. Right. And that, that wasn't hard for me to do, but conjuring two is filled with these scenes. And I've tried to explain this to people who haven't seen the movie that I can only describe as, Hey, you know how there's uh, evidence that this haunting was fake well, here's how that evidence can exist and it still be real. Well, like, and not only that, you take that one step further into grossness. The movie is at because whereas the first one, it was just like we're using a r real people to create these fake versions of them. And we're kind of tongue in cheek having fun with it. This movie is almost like Juan is siding with them and kind of winking and going, hey, hey, I bet if you watch this and thought that they were frauds, this might convince you that they're not. You know exactly. what I mean? It's like, no, I, no, I don't want that at all because these I, people like ripped people off. This was yeah. not good. I feel like the movie is trying to convince me that any evidence I have for that haunting being not real is actually bull. Like for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, I don't know why you're listening to this necessarily, but like there's a scene and this both happened in the movie and in real life, right? Where the girl who is claiming to be possessed, they're like, all right, we're going to have you put water in your mouth. And then when the when the demon or this ghost speaks through you, we'll have proof that you're not the one speaking. And then By the way, 
one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. a great scene, except the fact that what's happening is, that's why I said I want to hold this against the movie. It's just the meta text going on here because she her response is he won't come out as long as you're out looking at me, both in real life and in the movie. So they all have to turn around. Now it's a cool scene in the movie because she's in the background all fuzzy, and while she starts like talking in the de- in the ghost voice, she like morphs into the ghost and back. But in real life, obviously skeptics were like, yeah, of course she spit the water out, did the voice, and then put the water back in her mouth before they turned around. Because, of course, that's what any rational person would think. And it feels like the movie is trying to say, I know that's what rational says, but trust us on this. Yeah, this is this is the same thing as when, you know, but but grosser, as like when the people that made the Blair Witch Project took out obituaries for the characters in their movie. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, we're kind of taking the joke a little bit too far here, guys. <laughs> like, step back a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, I don't really want to hold that particular interpretation against the movie, but it kept bothering me, and I just had to get it off my chest. Yeah, see, that wasn't an issue for me going into any of these movies because The Conjuring was the first time I heard about the Warrens. And, you know, going into Conjuring 2, I'd heard people going, oh, you know, they're fakes. And it's like, yeah, don't really care to look into that one way or the other because I don't really care. So none of that really bugged me about this movie. I wasn't taking that in with me. It's like, okay, this is kind of, you know, a nice peek behind the curtain of people going, well, you're obviously fakes in a world where like, no, this is this is legitimately happening. I thought that was a nice touch, largely because, again, I didn't have the real world baggage of knowing anything about them more than just, you know, a couple that were, you know, paranormal experts. Right. Now, as for scenes, I feel like, just for me anyway, it's both a standout in a good way and a bad way, but the nun coming at the the wife at her house, that scene is amazingly shot, but I feel like it was just weird in the movie. Like, I feel like as a scene itself, it was, like, amazing, but at the same time, I felt like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this movie, by the end of it, I was like, wait, the explanation is that the nun is actually the thing in the house in England uh, controlling essentially the other spirits in the house, but yet the nun is also messing with the wife in the States, like, at their house, even though, like, the Warrens in this fictional world are, like, the biggest threat to them. I I don't know. The whole thing, it just felt, like, weirdly ramshackle like there wasn't it was a great scene with little justification you know the explanation i went is it's all her psychic dreaming dreams you know preludes and i do agree that's kind of why in my overall ranking conjuring 2 falls just beneath the conjuring is you start to see the franchise building that we are, you know, in the middle of now, and it's like, all right, cool, we got this story, but what if we snuck in a backdoor pilot in for this creeper? And I am, I agree. I, I get goosebumps just thinking about the scene because it is shot so well, is that that's a creepy-ass painting, first of all. No one looks at that and go, I'm going to hang this in my house. You would fucking burn that thing. But the scene the you know, that I love is when the fingers start slowly curling around the frame, and I just remember sitting in the theater going, oh, fuck, no, no, stop isn't that. It, isn't it? Um, That's a trope played... that Juan does that I love, the fingers curling around. Oh, something. yeah. Yes. Why is that so creepy? Isn't it Um, that she painted it, like, after having a fever dream about it, right? No, he uh, painted it because he couldn't he get it out of his it. head. Yeah, that's right. And then, and so it, I still think, you I agree with you that it is a little weird in the movie, even though it's a great scene. Oh. But I think the whole thing comes from whatever went down in Amityville 
most likely had something to do with what they're basically saying with that nun character as well, I think is what they were trying to say. And that's I, kind of and that's, that's kind of go. and that's kind of connected to the two of them now. It's like implanted itself. So I don't know necessarily that she's actually physically there as much as it's like a it's like it's like a projection. It's like a reminder of, hey, you know what I mean? We're we're gonna freaking um, fend off against each other again. It's like all those visions she's having with the husband getting impaled on the stick, you know, you know and, and all that. That's one of those things that your argument that you just made is perfectly reasonable. And that to me falls under the purview of this is my, how I feel about horror movies. I think getting in the way and it's like, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. But when I was sitting there watching it, all I could think was this, this feels disconnected from everything else happening until the end and then I was like, okay, it was connected, but I still felt disconnected. So that well, was also, I feel all of this, like, I guess I haven't seen, and again, we're not talking about the other one, so I'll just say it briefly, but I know the Warrens come back into play as the Annabelle sequels go along and everything. And I find the more the Warrens are involved, the more disinteresting the story gets because, and again, it's only because of the baggage that I come in with that in real life these people are frauds so I don't really want to like hang my hat on them whereas in Insidious I absolutely love um the paranormal investigators in those movies and I yeah. care about them oh they're hilarious and particularly you can your because, ass I'm going to do Bear Hunter Ninja from now yeah, on <laughs> particularly because one of them is Leigh Whannell the writer and I think that's mm-hmm. great he's specs and I have always enjoyed that no, I love those paranormal I love how they're constantly like dick waving contests with each other about yeah, everything it, they're doing well, it feels it, like a natural friendship. Great. Like, and that is how two friends would react, especially in that situation. And so, for me, I, I feel in this round, The Conjuring 2 slightly edges out Insidious 2, even though they both have problems that bring them down, only because I find The Conjuring 2, again, whereas Insidious 2 kind of strips down Insidious 1 even more to a fault. Like, Insidious 2 is a much more, even more of a single-room movie than Insidious 1 was, right? And it... It's, it's got way better acting than Insidious 1 and way less cheesy effects in all of this because they've obviously learned stuff after making The Conjuring. But that stuff they do with the reveal of the, the old lady just didn't work for me. Whereas Conjuring 2 is swinging for the fences and doing a lot of weird, weird world building and franchise building, but it's so bonkers and the horror is really great in it. And so it I give it the edge over Insidious 2. To me, I I also give Conjuring Two an edge over Insidious Two. I I feel like all of the stuff I liked most in Insidious One was the stuff they kind of threw to the side in Insidious Two. So what was left was, as you said, yes, the acting is better, the effects are better because they have more money and it's second. End. But I just I didn't find the the bride in black interesting. I didn't find the okay. I will say the one uh, the, the the scene in Insidious Two that most stuck out to me was when they first go to the I forgot what the like Patrick's room, but yes, you don't you don't know that yet. So it's just like the little girl, quote unquote, ghost shows up, and like the way the camera he's holding the camera, and it goes down. They're looking in the opposite direction, but the camera's picking her up behind them. I was like, that this is brilliant. Like that scene was great, but it the was guy just stages horror so well. Yeah, yeah. No. But other than that, there was not a whole lot going on in Sidious 2. Like, the fact that at the end it turned into a weird shining thing where you have a possessed dad chasing the family through the house was kind of... It, it didn't fit for me. Uh-huh. Like, no. So, yeah, Conjuring 2 is my vote. 
Yeah, and I agree. I I, I think that's I think I like uh, Conjuring Two more than both of you. So I'll just say my piece on uh, Insidious Chapter Two. The minute they kind of you know explain or over explain, it's like oh well now I'm just pissed off and this isn't fun anymore and yeah there's scares but i'm still just kind of i'm taken out of it and again you're right when it goes full the shining on me i was like really this 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 is where you're gonna go i mean last time it was night of the living dead now it's come on juan you're a better director than this all right so since uh, i guess it's my turn to start now then the next round is saw versus dead silence a movie that everyone knows because the franchise is huge and a movie that very few people know of. Now, I'm going to be upfront. I watched Saw once when around the time it came out, and I didn't have time to rewatch it, so I'm super fuzzy on Saw. But I've only watched a couple other Saw movies. I'm not a fan of the 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 format in general. So, whereas Dead Silence, I had never even heard of before the other day, and then I watched it, and I loved the hell out of it. I noticed that both I, you guys I, on your ranking put it pretty low, but I was super into it. So, <laughs> point is, I don't know how I can, because I know both of you definitely like Saw more. So, but since I don't really have a great way to describe Saw, it's going to be hard for me to talk about this. You know, <laughs> I will describe this using a colloquialism I picked up from my dad. It's like a kick in the balls versus a poke in the eye. Okay, Chris, what do you have to say before we go? <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll go on the record as saying out of this group of movies, I don't think Juan has made a bad horror movie. You know, all, all of these movies, I really like them all. Um, I, I, I will say this. Hold on, dude. <laughs> I, 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 I will say this. Saw, Saw holds, holds a special place for me, and Saw is unique in in the mix of these movies now i'm really glad that juan has never made another movie like saw um and and what i mean by that is is a multiple fold thing saw as i don't know if you guys have ever watched the short film that became no, saw it was it was him and yeah. Leigh one and it was basically all the scenes that took place in that one room and then the rest of the movie wasn't there it was like a pitch movie so it was just the guy waking up you know and and he Lay Winnell played the girl with like the bear trap on her head in that version of it and everything. But it it's a movie that I'm glad saw had sequels. So, so the sequels could kind of like plane out like what the look was supposed to be because saw one is very um, throwing spaghetti at a wall about its look. Like the, the horror scenes are filmed like nine inch nails, music videos, the yeah. police procedural scenes look like they were shot like on a made for TV CSI type show. Um, it, it it's, it's a very all over the place look, but the thing that I love about saw that I don't think everybody remembers about it is that when saw came out, I saw it when it like, it just been like a, a spoken thing that everyone was like, Oh, you got to see this movie saw. And they had an early premiere, like, you know, two or three months before the movie came out in Cambridge. And I went in with my roommate in college and we watched it. And the thing that blew me away about Saw was that it knew it was so intelligently written in that it knew that its viewers were going to, especially the early viewers were going to be rabid horror movie fans. And so it played with those tropes. It messed with you into going along with its mystery. And being really, really surprised when they reveal that the Jigsaw Killer is just the freaking dead guy on the floor the whole time. And 
what I found interesting was about five or six years later, my wife had never seen it. And I showed it to her and I go, and she's not as like a rabid, like seeing every horror movie in the world. So she wasn't swayed at all. She goes, oh man, is the jigsaw killer the guy on the floor? <laughs> and I'm just like, you see what? <laughs> like out of nowhere. Cause I felt that like all of like this, this, the stuff that the movie is known for the, the torture porn, the, this or that and the other thing. Yeah. It's all those things. But what people forget is the first saw is a lot more like seven than it is like than it is like its sequels. You you see the aftermath and the aftermath of stuff like that is scary, like seeing someone, you know, all like banged up. And then you go, well, how did that happen? And they give you a little bit of an insight. I like that. That's probably why Saw didn't stand out to me personally as much because I'm not the the kind of horror fan you're describing. So that's interesting. And it's unique to me because Juan, you know, he, you know, him and him and Winnell have been involved in the rest of them, but they kind of let their their buddy who made like Repo the Genetic Opera, he's, oh, he's, yeah. that guy, he he did all the sequels, you know, or at least the vast majority of them. And you, you love Repo. S- what? I said, I do love Repo and Devil's yes. Carnival. So, yes. And you can see the visual change. I still think Saw 2 is the best of the franchise, but um, that that's not what we're talking about here. Um but Saw just holds a special place in my heart. Now, moving on to Dead Silence. Dead may, Silence. May Dead, I? Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Okay, because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be the this movie's defender in this particular group. So, Not necessarily. All right, let me let me put up front. This movie has problems. A lot of problems. And I didn't start getting into it until a little ways in. So, like, because first of all, one thing that was in its favor, this movie is not like it kicks off immediately like the second scene is a brutal murder and i I was like wow this movie is just not pulling any punches it's going right for the balls so and i was kind of already like all right i'm I'm interested in this kind of pace but problem one the transitions in this movie are so for lack of a better term dumb they use the same transitions in these weird kind of like there's this one transition they use twice in 30 seconds that involves going into this character's eye and coming out but like I said, they do it two times within this short span of time. They was like, why? The whole movie's done in this blue filter. So like the red cars stand out, but everything else looks like weirdly like it's just so obviously everything's blue. Most of the actors are not bringing their A game. <laughs> but for me, this feels like a movie with a excellent script that was let down by execution because I love the concepts in this movie so much the idea of we've got a a ventriloquist who like we get to have the whole kind of like it was a serial killer thing that insidious 2 tried to do but she like became like a freddy krueger-esque demon with her own set of rules i love when horror movie monsters have rules for some reason that is just really exciting for me and the fact that if, if anyone hasn't seen this movie the basic rule is that um like the ventriloquist dummy doll has got to be in your kind of vicinity. And then the, the dummy will get rid of all noise. Like if there's a faucet dripping, it'll keep dripping, but it won't make any sound. So all the sound just goes away and then it will try to scare you. And if you scream, then it kills you by taking your tongue. But if you don't scream, you're fine. So there's like this weird kind of like, it's a game, but it's a game with life and death stakes. And I find that really fascinating. And the dummy, the dummies don't look like how 
like how the Annabelle doll in The Conjuring is very obviously meant to look like it's really scary, whereas the real-life Annabelle doll was just a Raggedy Ann doll. The dummies in this movie look scary in that they were just – they look like dummies. They look scary in that way of like if you actually came across a ventriloquist shop, these you could easily see these dummies there and think they're creepy. So they don't look like they're trying too hard. They just look creepy. <laughs> uh, and I love this like – there's, there's a twist in the movie that even though I saw it coming, I still really was excited when the when they revealed it because, um, well, I don't want to say it just in case anyone – because, like, I'm going to highly recommend that people watch this movie if they missed it. But uh, to me, it, it definitely falls in that so, like, good and bad kind of – like, I normally don't fall for the so bad it's good kind of thing. I, there are very few movies that that works for me. Like, I, I hate The Room. I don't understand that, uh, really. But Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But this movie, I don't know if that's what's happening for me, but as soon as it was done, I wanted to talk about, like, the the, the spirit, uh, Mary Shaw. She's got a, a nursery rhyme, which made me think back to things like Nightmare on Elm Street and, uh, you know, the, these rules and this mythology and the creepy imagery of people as dolls and dolls as people. And I don't know. Oh, and it does this weird thing where there's this, like, there's this officer, this detective, who is just shaving all the time. And I love it. I, it made me think, like, what, in the original script that they have him drinking all the time? But they're like, let's replace that with something weird and mundane. So he's just shaving constantly, and it just makes me giggle. And I love it. <laughs> Any, anyway, that's some of my – I felt like you had something to say, Chris, but I just wanted to get that off my chest before we say more negative things about it, I guess. <laughs> you know, you're it, – it's, it's, it, I, I attempted to start off the beginning of this to make sure you knew that, that this wasn't just going to be that Chris wants to shit on – dead silence <laughs> um because it's not the case at all it just falls on the bottom of my list of these movies and let let me tell you why saw came out james wan got the keys to the kingdom he got to make his little passion project which was dead silence this was something that he had been building up for a long time i guess and to me it falls into the same category of what went wrong with it that you could uh, kind of tack on to rob zombie's house of a thousand corpses what it is is it's a director who's given full creative control with Rob Zombie. It was just because, you know, he wants to make a horror movie and we're finally going to let him. And with James Wan, it's holy crap. Saw made us a lot of money. Make whatever you want. And so he kind of just threw every idea he could possibly have thought to have out there with this story of, you know, a, a, a lady who, you know, is was a serial killer. And now she's a demon of sorts, like a Freddy Krueger kind of thing. But also she takes children and she may take parts of them and turn them into the dolls. But also she takes your tongue and it just goes in all of these directions. It's got some very evil dead type of bits. You, you what it really ends up happening is I actually really dig the hell out of this movie. I went and saw it in the theaters like two or three times. It just as soon as you see everything else Juan had in him after this, you see both the good parts of Dead Silence and the bad parts of Dead Silence working out of his system as the movies go along. Insidious still has those bits, the I'm trying to reach too far and stick too many ideas together and I'm not quite there yet, that he kind of fleshes out in The Conjuring. You know, and... um I love that about Dead Silence, and I love that Dead Silence is so wholly unique, especially coming right after, you know, the loud, industrial, rock, horror, insane, torture porn movie that Saw was. And to see him come out with, like, this playful but still very R-rated and very nasty, like, um, Goosebumps episode of a movie, I, I really dug it. It just none of the pieces really fit together for me. It's like a bunch of tiny little vignettes that don't really tie together. 
I actually really like the description of it as a, a Goosebumps episode type of movie because it, it does feel a lot like an R-rated Goosebumps, which is kind of neat because I read a lot of Goosebumps when I was when I was young. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, Ulrich, go ahead. I'm sure you're you have opinions. <laughs> oh boy, do I! Oh, excellent. The 55 minute mark is when the vitriol starts spewing. I oh okay so my experience with this movie started because when Slagathanar and I were dating she had the poster for Dead Silence above her bed so I hadn't even seen this movie yet and it's already working at a deficit for me and I I do not like this movie at all I have I have tried to go back and rewatch it because Slagathanar loves this movie if that wasn't obvious from the poster story I love James Wan, but I cannot with this movie. Oh, just so much because, and it all kind of boils down. The breaking point for me is you get to the end and it's like, oh, okay. This was all, you know, set up fakery. It really was this, you know, it was nothing supernatural. But, oh, wait, no, it was Supernatural after all. And that just, for whatever reason, got under my skin and has continued to bug me every time I watch this. Like, you see them setting up threads for both stories, and they don't need to be in there. Pick one or the other. And there's just so much dumb, and I hate that the guy's constantly shaving. What the? Oh. I I actually love love that. I'm glad that you reminded me of that. It doesn't mean it's just as I think it's all because the ending I hate so much and it just kind of boils back all the little weird things and inconsistencies just kind of add to my frustration about this movie. And I I say I don't I don't really understand. I'm not not saying you're invalid for this, but I definitely don't understand the it. It suddenly was trying to say it wasn't supernatural. Like I felt more like it was. Uh, always supernatural, but there were just unsupernatural elements. Kind of like um, it reminded me of things like oh, I've already compared it to Goosebumps, or you compared it to Goosebumps. I'll compare it to Scooby Doo. Kind of like yes, uh, kind of like that one Scooby Doo movie where it's like a warlock summoning shit. So like the warlock is just a guy, and he summons a ghost. So like that's what I felt like was kind of going on with uh, with Dead Silence, where it's like there's a uh, the threads were more like there's a person here and they're connected to the supernatural thing. That isn't actually what ends up happening, but that's why it didn't hit me as like a conflicting thing. It was more smooth. But anyway, sorry, go on. No, I, I just it bugs me so much because you're right. It really is like this is supernatural. And if you trace it back to the beginning, OK, all supernatural, all tracks. And then it throws this. Well, here's some real world grounded stuff out of left field that doesn't mesh with the rest of the movie, it just kind of grinds to a halt. And I hate Mary Shaw's giant tongue of tongues. I don't know if it's the bad CGI or just that it doesn't work as a design for me or that it's just incredibly gross. You know what? I will say that one thing that um, bothered me about Dead Silence, even though I was really into it, is that the movie is filled with really great practical effects. And then suddenly in the last part of the third act, yeah, terrible CG just invades an otherwise like really good effect movie, you know? And me and my buddy Woonvog were watching. We were like, we had literally commented several times like, oh, they're doing some pretty good practical effects. Like when the puppet just appears and it's gone and then suddenly the faces start CGing out and we're like, oh, this is this is bad. 
Yeah, and there's no, in my opinion, good scares. And uh, the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm going, this is just so fucking dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. And it just, I, I, I said, Slytho loves this movie. I, this movie angers me. And then on the other hand, there's Saw. Which... I think, hold on, before you go to Saw, I just want to say, I think it's funny that as far as I'm concerned, uh, Dead Silence was the only movie on this list that I actually liked. Like, I thought, for instance, I thought the best movie, quote unquote, was probably The Conjuring. But I was only like, eh, it's an experience for me. But Dead Silence was the only one afterwards that I wanted to talk about and maybe see again. And I just think it's funny that, like, it's the one that you really don't like. It's the one that I think is objectively probably the weakest. But my experience with it was so positive that it's the only one I came out, like, happy. I don't know. Oh, it's it, it, it's a blast to me. Uh, and, and I can see where Ulrich is coming from, too. But this movie, it's just playful. You can watch someone honing their craft and just having fun being like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not making that torture porn movie anymore. Check this thing out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it reminds me a lot of Drag Me to Hell is um a lot of what a lot that that Sam Raimi kind of like some of this is meant to be silly and you're supposed to be laughing at it. You know, yeah, and I think that kind of reminded me. It's another thing I don't like with my horror movies, and I kind of inherited this from my mother. I don't like horror movies where, after everything, the protagonist still ends up losing, and that's what bugged me about the first Insidious. Is it just kind of walks away like the movie just punched me in the gut as I walked away and said, "Thanks for coming." Like, wait, wait, no, now you've put me on the back foot, and I'm kind of pissed at you. I didn't sit through an hour and a half just for the person I'm rooting for to lose. And in this way, a really dumb, dumb, dumb way. Anyway, your opinion on Saw? Okay, Saw. So, from a story point of view, Saw is pretty good. It's interesting. I think the movies on a whole, the story is pretty well done up until, you know, the end where it peters out. But it's just not my thing. And again, this is another Slagathor favorite. I, I just, just, the torture porn and the level of brutality, it doesn't really work for me. And some of the acting is a bit, <sighs> and again, this is, this is a movie that, much like Dead Silence, this is, has none of the things that I like from James Wan. There's no, I'm not really frightened by this. I'm more just like, oh, this is just unpleasant to look at. <sighs> Saw's only real saving grace for me is the big twist ending where it's like, holy shit, that body that's been sitting there the entire movie mocking us and going, hey, I'm right here. That, that, I can't believe that your wife picked that up. That, that that's, that's crazy. It blew my mind. Like, there's not any real clues that that's what it is. It just feels like this obvious thing that's placed right in the middle of the room and i like saw a little bit better for that because i think if i strip away the elements i don't like there's still a movie that i like there underneath all of it if i take everything out of dead silence i don't like there's nothing left i will say that again i only disagree with that because i feel like dead silence would make an amazing story i feel like the script in like written form would be enjoyable for wholly different reasons than I'm enjoying the movie. But that's that was literally what I said to my friends afterwards. I was like, I feel like that was a really great script let down by uh, troubled execution. But that's 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 up to you to decide. I well, mean, you... my my vote 
will go to Dead Silence just because I don't really care for Saw and I love Dead Silence surprisingly, but I'm not going to be like upset if you guys vote me out. <laughs> a um a a good thing um Ulrich, if if you don't recall it, just to maybe give you and again it's not something you can use here for the voting and I don't think it would sway your vote, but Dead Silence had an incredible ad campaign. Like if Juan if Juan was in charge of his trailers for that, the trailers were unbelievably creepy and they use like that creepy little kid like freddy krueger style nursery rhyme about mary shaw and it they were selling like the woman in black like with the trailer for this movie and instead you kind of got this silly like all over the place romp which i ended up enjoying but the movie they were selling was this like hard hitting like nasty movie and um whoever was in charge of that ad campaign was genius because it really sold a a incredibly cool movie yeah, see, I never saw any of that. My one and only experience with it was the poster that, you know, loomed down at me every time I came over. And then Slagathor, when we, you know, moved in together, I was like, okay, we finally got to watch this movie. Now we're living together. You're really going to like it. And I just kept going, what the fuck was that? I mean, this is a script. I agree with Axel. There's probably the bones and maybe like a second pass to pick a lane and refine some of the stuff. It really could have been good. But as is final product, this is the only movie of his that I have anger towards. I mean, so it's kind of disgust and reluctance, but dead silence fills me with rage. You know, the <laughs> next time I come visit, me and Slagathor are just going to watch Dead Silence since uh, <laughs> she loves it and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. I would love to watch Dead Silence again. I actually watched it in preparation for this, and was like, "Yeah, this this is still a mess, and I still really like it." <laughs> so, no, no. Ugh. So, so to me, you know, the, the ever being the person that whether it's controversial or not tries to bring reason into this, you know, the, the way that we went about Spielberg and Kevin Smith was, you know, this is the movie that's left that tells you the most about this director and you know we'll keep this grouped into his horror movies and so kind of you can kind of get a feel for everything he's capable of doing or that what he's best about in the genre and i feel that dead silence the things i really like about dead silence are showcased in both movies that we've won the other two rounds with the conjuring and the conjuring 2 um whereas nothing is showcased about saw which is what kicked off his horror career and so for me i have to go with saw I will say that I do think it's interesting that Dead Silence is basically the passion project, right? So it's it's a way of it's a great way of showing all the director's faults and strengths. I oh, think. Oh yeah. I'm, but uh, but yeah, like I said, Saw is Saw has a much bigger impact. And I guess normally the the end of the road of this discussion is what is the quintessential movie for this director. And I think the fact that Saw had a much greater impact on the genre, on careers, on like Hollywood in general means that. I don't. I'm not bothered by it taking uh, over Dead Silence in the round. I just want to. I want to be the guy defending Dead Silence. So I'll and be I the love that. that so. And remember, Saw also gave us the Dread Pirate Roberts cutting off his own foot. So there is that. And I'm pretty sure Ulrich, based on his votes, saw. So I think, yeah, saw takes that. Now I don't think Ulrich wants to cast a vote. <laughs> I think he takes <laughs> them both. No, I'll take uh, Saw. Goes on because I don't like saw but i hate dead silence like and it hurts me because 
James Wan is probably like one of my top five favorite directors. I will see anything this man directs. And I just have this one. It's like, you. Now, I want to be... Um, we have three movies left. We, we, we got a little long going through the first rounds. But I think this shouldn't be too long because we, we have The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2, and Saw. So let's put Saw to the side for just a second and compare the... Well, actually, that's not even fair, really, because... All right, my, for me... Right, I think it's an obvious Conjuring over Conjuring 2. Because, like, Conjuring is, like I said in my little spiel about it, I feel like Conjuring is a movie without flaw. Like, it may not be, in my estimations, like, excelling in a way that I felt Insidious did at the end, but there's just nothing wrong with it, whereas I found plenty wrong with Conjuring 2. So, but I'd be more interested in what your guys' opinions on this kind of thing is. Well, here's the thing. I had to think long and hard before we did this between the conjuring and the conjuring 2 because i really like this franchise it's why i was so hurt by annabelle and oh la Llorona and the nun and oh god i've watched a lot of bad horror movies this year anyways and i kind of went back and forth because there's a lot of like about conjuring there's a lot of like about the conjuring 2 some of the scares are really great. I mean, The Crooked Man, that's a practical effect. And it haunted my dreams for a long time. He was practical? Really? He that's was practical. Cool. That is a, I think that's Doug Jones. Really? Yes. While you're talking, I'm going to look that up. Yeah. See if that was Doug Jones, because I feel like it's a creepy creature that haunted my dreams. It's probably Doug Jones. So Actually, I, I have a better way to frame this discussion. I don't mean to cut you off, but... Uh, the Conjuring and Conjuring 2 are both, um, we, we can agree, right, that this is Holy the... Holy uh, crap, the Crooked Man was a practical effect. Uh-huh, and he's just as creepy. Sorry, I didn't mean it. Jesus. Uh-huh. I, I'm going to Google that in a second. But we can, um, just for frame of reference, right, this is basically the Jurassic Park Jaws thing all over again, where we can agree that... Conjuring and Conjuring 2 are showcasing the same kind of thing by being a sequel to the other that is a very different thing than Saw. So I think it makes more sense to have the the final comparison be Conjuring or whatever comes out of the Conjuring versus Conjuring 2 and Saw. So continue. Yeah. So like I said, that he is such a creepy character that really stuck with you and you know that nursery rhyme it's all kind of cute and then when he's saying it menacingly coming down the hallway you just instantly get goosebumps and you're like oh sweet jesus no and the nun again very creepy krug is still terrified of that character and i don't know if i'm the only one that noticed this but i loved that if you look in the background the name uh valak is spelled out and like hidden throughout the background of the movie yes. Yes. And I picked it up in the theater and I was so proud because, again, James Wan is always hiding stuff in the backgrounds of his movie. Um, There's a lot I really like about The Conjuring 2. I feel you care more for the characters. You really kind of sympathize with the family a bit more. Now, ultimately, the big Achilles heel for me that kind of, you know, pushed Conjuring over Conjuring 2 in my final uh, ranking is Conjuring 2 has a downbeat moment, which is fantastic, which is uh, what's the actor's name? I can't think of his name. The Mr. Warren, we'll call him, does vague, uh, oh, yeah. Elvis. That is such a nice, you know, peaceful moment. They kind of, you know, like, oh, this is great. They've, you know, gone through so much and it's nice, but Patrick it Wilson. just... 
Patrick Wilson. I was going to say Patrick Warburton, but I know it wasn't Patrick Warburton. <laughs> That's a very different movie. But it really kind of breaks the tension in the movie, which is Juan's specialty. When he gets going, it's like drawing a wire and the tension you just, you want it to break so you can relax, but he doesn't. And for me, that was the watershed moment was right then and there. It lets you take a breath. And you can kind of calm down. And The Conjuring never really has that. The Conjuring has you in its grasp. It's like, no, 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 we're not getting off this until the very end of the movie. And even then, I might follow you out to the parking lot and scare you a couple more times. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I mean, while Conjuring 2 has better scares, in my opinion, just because of, you know, the creatures and being practical and being terrifying there's that and then there's the fact that you really start to feel they're wanting to world build and you feel warner brothers putting the pressure on like no 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 stick this in so we can make a movie about this because i still hear rumors that the crooked man is also going to have a movie and don't do that they've all been terrible it doesn't work outside this universe and the more you explain much like in cities like the less scary it gets I thought like half the Annabelle movies were good. I haven't seen them. I just uh, two out of three. Annabelle two comes home is good. good. Annabelle, Annabelle comes home is fun because James Wan is there writing and helping direct, and you see his fingerprints all over it. So it's kind of a mess of a movie. But if you like James Wan, you like Annabelle comes home because all of what makes his movies good is there, kind of baked into it. And Annabelle: Origin of Evil is really, really good. Because, again, it feels, I don't know, he don't think he was involved in that one, but you feel his fingerprints in it, and it's kind of like, okay, this is legitimately scary. It's working from a small thing. My point of bringing that up is that you can't say all the spinoffs are bad, and The Crooked Man was such a cool effect that I'd be interested in a spinoff of him. Annabelle Origin of Evil does the same thing that the Ouija sequel did, in that it makes the first Annabelle mean something. You sit there, the first Annabelle is garbage. But then they made this movie that kind of went, hey, hey, we're going to make you rethink about stuff that happened in that movie. <laughs> and you're like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> like it it pulls it back from the darkness. Yeah. And I just I I guess my problem with these sequels is, is the more you try and expand this universe into a bigger thing, the more holes you start seeing in it because it doesn't really hold logic. That said. Mr. Wan, I want that samurai movie. You have been teasing me for two Conjuring movies, and I don't know how many of the Annabelle prequel sequels, and you did a great job, you know, building it up in Annabelle Comes Home, and just give me the story behind that mother-loving samurai. It just, it sits there, and it teases me. It's like the one joke in The Simpsons where the Yakuza and the Mafia are fighting, Homer's like, but I want to see what that little guy does. That is the samurai armor to me. Sorry, tangent. That's all right. As far as I I'm concerned, the samurai armor is they just wanted to steal it. So <laughs> I hope it's a Westworld tie-in. See, I read the actual story behind the samurai armor, and that's cool, and I want that movie. Plus, I want to see Juan do Japanese horror. Yeah, me too. Sure, so, Japanese yeah. Japanese horror is like its own, definitely its own monster. Oh, so Yeah, so ultimately conjuring for me is the best movie and it's probably the best representation of Juan's skill as a director and why i love him as a director is best exemplified in the conjuring okay i want to hear i want to hear chris's take though because i'm pretty sure it sounds like we all agree that conjuring one over conjuring two but i want to hear the guy who actually really likes saw like 
make that comparison because you know with Kevin Smith, you you convinced me when it came to Clerks oh. too. So I want to I want to hear this. Okay, well, um, so this, this is not this saying is you'll be... choose Saab. I'm just saying I want to no. give you the opportunity to. Well, to no, talk. and th- that's that's what I've been thinking through here the whole time because so it's obviously Conjuring over Conjuring Two, even though I really like both of those movies, and it's for all the reasons you guys have already said it. The Conjuring 2, even though it's wholly unique, I love the unique visuals and everything of it, it starts to feel like the movie knows what you're expecting. So it's like, okay, and now we're going to have a scene where there's going to be something creepy that's going to show up in the house. And while it's really creepy, it's like, okay, I was expecting that. Whereas in The Conjuring 1, the movie, like, like Ulrich said, it never lets up and it never stops surprising you because you don't know the rules yet. You don't know what these ghosts are you don't know how many of them there are you don't know how they're going to materialize and what powers and abilities they have and a lot of the scares happen in broad daylight or with like the things just right there in the shot and i i loved that about it um so the conjuring over the conjuring too for sure what we end up with at the end here is two incredibly unique films that if you were to watch them back to back without all of these other connective tissues don't even seem like they're directed by the same guy. And I find that to be the most fascinating thing about James Wan is that he's a journeyman director who can wear all of these different hats, but his level of quality, even in the movies that don't work so well, the guy's a professional and he just brings something to the table. Saw, I already said the majority of what I need to say about Saw, but Saw, you know, it comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere when it came out. And if you didn't get to it at that time, it's been saturated by all the sequels. I give it a lot of credit because it started a franchise. We got, you know, a new Freddy Krueger style, big bad with Tobin Bell as Jigsaw. And he's the best part of all of those movies, right? Even in the ones that suck, Tobin Bell is incredible. Um, He even, he makes you sympathetic for him. And when they make the movies, when they decide that, them because the first saw and the second saw have rules that's what i like about tobin bell and i like the james wan created it it's like you said about dead silence there's a game being played it's a sadistic game but there's a game being played as soon as we get to saw three and it turns into no th- these ta- these traps are inescapable the-, the movies just aren't fun anymore and that's what i love about the first and second one now the first one i love its raw kind of cobbled together feel that it has the scenes in the room between um Le-Wanel and um the dread pirate roberts there whose name i always forget and i feel bad about it but carrie robin hood carrie always yep um are the best stuff in the movie it's the closest to the james wan we see in the conjuring in these other movies it, it's it's two characters stuck in a situation trying to figure their way out and I love that but what I don't feel Saw has going for it is that Juan seems to have dropped the majority of what he did with the first Saw in all of these other movies he's made they're, they're not really about some sort of like M. Night Shyamalan-esque twist or mystery or um, weird thing that the characters have to uncover or pulling a fast one on you they're just straight up through line spook show movies that are really, really well made. And so for me, even though I have a really, really, really big soft spot in my heart for Saw, there is no movie that more full out 
would tell someone what James Wan's abilities are as a director within the horror genre are than The Conjuring. And so that's what I have to go with. Which brings us to consensus, which is actually, I think, the fastest we've ever come to consensus. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, I kind of suspected that coming in, but when you put Dead Silence as your number one axe, I'm like, all right. I'm curious. What is he going to say? Is he going to be able to convince me? Is Chris going to come with a wild haymaker out of, you know, nowhere like he did with clerks? It's maybe, I, in, know, all, in all fairness, okay. though, I want to say, like, based on your description, I don't really think there was a chance for me to convince you. But do you at least accept, say, our enjoyment of that movie? Oh, I get why people like this movie. I 100% understand. I'm just saying that on every level, this movie doesn't work for me. And it makes me angry. And again, it makes me angry for this. Well, Batman versus Superman makes me angry for a lot of reasons, but it makes me partially angry because it's the director I really, really like doing a movie I really, really hate. You know what's funny? I almost feel like Conjuring is one of those movies that, as far as this list is concerned, I also felt like coming in, it was the um, the odds-on favorite. And I feel like Conjuring is almost, and again, this is coming from someone not into horror movies, so you can tell me how off-base I am. But Conjuring is almost boringly perfect. I've heard that term used to describe a song before, but it's like Conjuring is, as you put it, you know, it's like a spook show, but it's like a perfect kind of spook show movie. And there's just, it's so, it's so masterfully crafted that there's really a whole lot to say about it, which is why I feel like I, I wanted to spend a lot more time for myself talking about Dead Silence, because I was like, there's a lot of reason to defend this. But like, I don't feel like there's a need to defend choosing Conjuring as the pick because it's so obviously the pick i guess i just can't wait for james wan to make a better movie than it like if he's got one in there i can't wait to see it <laughs> you know what i mean because i want him to shit, do more yeah. movies yeah i mean the hey, guy fairness, was... like i told i was talking to my friends and i was like yeah we're only looking he's only made like six horror movies and like four uh non-horror movies and like that's not very accurate I was like well to be fair he started in like 2006 so that means yeah. like one movie or two every year or two that's pretty active actually i will i will also make an argument and i tried to do this when you first put the list together and it's it's your show so i'm not discrediting it but i would argue that if you're a james wan completionist you need to see death sentence and i would also argue that it easily could have been on this list now it's more like death wish and movies like that that could go into you know very graphic drama or horror movie so i i agree with it not being on the list but it's definitely not a contender for best movie here but it's wholly unique um it, it's a way better version of death wish than any of the death wish sequels or the remake of death wish um and it's got kevin bacon See, this is the first time hearing of this. Yeah, he made no, it like funny right in between Dead Silence and The Conjuring. Yeah, and when you made your list, I went and looked it up, and then I looked up his filmography, and I saw the the word the name Death Sentence. I was like, that sounds like a horror movie. Why isn't that on here? And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, it's because it's more of an action movie. Okay. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that movie existed, and I looked up the filmography, and I must have missed that. And it, it also wouldn't have held a candle to most of these anyway, and it's kind of the odd man out, but it – um. It, it was kind of a director for hire thing. And I, I really, it has all of his good strengths in it. And also a lot of the stuff that we've talked about as weaknesses, but it's, um, it, it's a ballsy little movie. It's worth checking to out. check that out. Cause like I said, I love James Wan. He's probably one of my five favorite directors. Anyway, as a, um, a way of like saying, Hey, cap the conversation, tell you something you already knew our winner of the James Wan 
SmackDown is The Conjuring. Woo! So, and I like this one that the, the winner wasn't really the interesting part. It was the conversation, man. The conversation well, on this one was great. That's kind of the idea behind this. Is it's not always like sometimes you are going to know the winner, but I feel that well, if we're doing anything right, we are having interesting discussions about why that one is our favorite or why it is the best and the strengths and the weaknesses of the other movies. Yeah, also, what I, think, uh, what I think Chris is tapping into more, from my opinion, is that when we did the Spielberg one, it was like, man, Raiders, Jaws, Schindler's List, and we all like had to feel bad about dropping Schindler's List, and we had to like really fight over all of our feelings about the two movies. When it came to Kevin Smith, it was literally a movie that neither me or Ulrich thought was going to be the top and then and then chris successfully argued it until we all agreed yeah this was the one for the conversation but in this case like we didn't really have to fight about who came out at number one we just had to talk about like all right why how do these compare to each other and what's interesting about those comparisons what's interesting about this man and what you can tell of him from these comparisons so it's just like a very different focus you know and if nothing else you discovered dead silence yeah, which, by the way, uh, spoiler, that's my suggestion for the episode. <laughs> Let's go watch that. All right, that's well, awesome. Before hey, we do I, that. I, I had one teeny tiny other aside, just because we're all about tangents. Um, did you guys hear, after I've turned you into a bit more of Kevin Smith fan Ulrich than you may have been originally, did you hear his pitch for Clerks 3? Yes. I, I can't remember I am, now. I am so it. unbelievably excited. Oh, so, I remember now. Remember how we talk about that, you know, Kevin Smith's one of the things that like sent him into a bit of a spiral was how bad Zack and Miri make a porno did. Yeah. And how Zack and Miri make a porno was very personal to him because he basically made a, a movie, a Jed Apatow movie that was really a movie about him making clerks. Like that was yeah. the whole point of it. Well, he decided that his st- story for Clerks 3 that he had to write after having his heart attack was that Randall has a heart attack. And looks back on his life and basically has a come to Jesus moment with, you know, I'm a shitty person. I haven't amounted to anything. All of the things we kind of said about Randall, right? And decides that him and Dante are going to make clerks. Oh, oh, yeah. It's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. You know, I I would say that a word that I would definitely use to describe Kevin Smith's late state, or not late, but his, um, this stage in his career is indulgent. But that's not inherently a good or a bad thing. It's just a super fascinating thing from my perspective. And yeah. also, he, he gave his list to start the roadshow of his favorite movies he's made, and leaving off the fact that he calls Jane Silent Bob reboot his favorite because it's the movie that's most he's personal promoted. to him now. Yeah. His number that. one his number one is Clerks 2, and oh, that, cool. that made me really happy. By the way, side note, have you seen Reboot yet? No. All right, well, let me just tell you that because you two are dads, two girls, I think it's going to hit you even harder than it hit me. So I gotta yeah. track down that movie. I hate that I'm saying this, but I just I may still not. Like I said I said it in the SmackDown. I'll say it again probably till the end of time. I'm still not a fan of his movies, but I'm curious to see what he's going to do enough. And I'm like, all right, you have my money. I want to see what you're going to do. I'm just saying, man, the reboot lasers in on the relationship between a father and daughter, and I think you two are gonna. Anyway, <laughs> God damn it. I don't need another Jersey girl. People people have told me it's the best. And I thought they were using this term lightly. And then I asked them and they went, no, they said it's the best acting Jay Muse has ever done. And I went, really, what do you mean? And they go, see it yeah. like he's no, they he's, are absolutely accurate. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's impressive because um, 
that guy is a lot of things an actor ain't one of them um that but is I, <laughs> I i, I uh, although he did a pretty good job in zach and miri but but i digress we we all digress this has nothing to do with james wan <laughs> anyway it has everything to do with james wan man you'll see <laughs> well eventually as we've we've teased before we will have a director smackdown of all of our winners i don't know what point that's going to come but it's going to be fun arguing spielberg against smith uh-huh. anyway why don't you uh um well i've actually we've got to start doing our wrap-up stuff so uh what comes first the uh the thank yous all right, well, then I'm going to assume that what comes first is I got to do my thing, which is, hey, whatever platform you're listening to us on, thank you. We are on uh, Pocket Cast and SoundCloud and uh, what else? Uh, Google? We're on Google Play? Yeah. My, my internet froze right now, so I can't actually navigate to our normal script. But those are the things we're on. So if there's any other one you want us to be on, tell us what it is and we'll look into it. And I believe that takes us to Chris, do your thing with whatever you want. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. Um, again, thank these guys always for having me on and putting up with me during these. Um, uh, you can check out all my stuff at The Chippa Made This um, on Patreon, um, also on YouTube, The Chippa, also on Facebook at The Chippa Made This. I do The Chipman Brothers Tangent, Shooting the Shit, Creating Geeks, and The Talkbuster Podcast. The entirety of The Talkbuster Podcast live show is now available on YouTube for everyone to watch. And also, if you're a patron of mine, you can check out the first episode of Hopped Ones, my take on the Hot Ones show, except instead of spicy wings, we drink beer and have a grand old time. And um, also, you can check out my first ever patron hangout that these wonderful folks over here at Geeks with Shields helped me make happen and also helped record for your ear holes. So thank you guys very much. All right. So firstly, Axel, I got to ask you, we do this every single week for almost two years now. How do you not know the format? (laughs) I, I don't know. I'm very free form. I'm off the cuff, bro. You can't hold me down. Okay, so now that we've had our plug and, you know, Chris's plug, let's go to suggestions of the week. And just to keep everything on track, I'll start. Uh, I'm going to plug a little YouTube channel that I'm a huge fan of, uh, History Buffs. Surprise, surprise, Ulrich likes the History YouTube channel. But wait, there's more. The basic premise of this show is every episode, uh, Nick Hodges takes a movie, historical, you know, and breaks down he gives you a little bit of history lesson he then you know talks about the movie and he talks about you know historical inaccuracies in the movie as well as reviewing it as a movie and again this is one of my i stumbled upon this years ago and i absolutely love it you know for obvious reasons but also he does a really great job in you know you get a little bit of history without being too much and kind of points you in the right direction and it's a real simple format but it's done really well and I just, I kind of, you know, enjoy, I enjoy history. I enjoy historical movies. And it's kind of fun to go and look and go, oh, yeah, I, I didn't know that. Or, oh, I knew that. And it's also been a great, you know, resource in turning me on to movies I haven't heard of. Because thanks to him, I went and watched the BBC miniseries, The Terror, which if you haven't watched it, watch that. And if you have watched that, look up the actual history. That is just Holy sweet Jesus, that, that could be a horror movie all in and of itself. Now, as for my suggestion of the week, I've already talked about Dead Silence a bunch, which is my suggestion of the week. So I don't need to say much more, but I will put this way. If you've listened to us, and the fact that it was a contentious movie that 
you know, like Ulrich didn't like, didn't make you want to watch it. Uh, I would say that if you're the kind of person who likes, say, Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors or any of the Puppet Master movies. Or okay, yeah, Puppet Master's like, don't drag Dream Warriors into this. I'm saying that that's what it reminds me of. Or things like Phantasm. Um, then, yeah, check out Dead Science. Give it a shot, at least. Hey, that brings it to me. Hey, really fun fact. I f- watched Phantasm for the very first time today. Really? How oh, have I never seen Phantasm? Oh, I loved it. How have I never seen Phantasm? I don't yeah, know. Right? Like Lovecraftian, pre-Slenderman, also like weird Terminator kind of things with the orbs. Like, yeah, I love Phantasm. <laughs> I, I can't bl- I've seen every movie Don Coscarelli has ever made, and I hadn't seen Phantasm. I knew everything about Phantasm, but I had never seen it. I have a fun story for Phantasm, but that's another time. Yeah, so my my suggestion of the week, and I'll make this quick because I don't want to say too much because I want everybody to see it, and I doubt anyone has or that many people have yet, but are you guys of the right age group to have watched Are You Afraid of the Dark when it was first on? Yep. Scared the living shit out of me. I was of the right age group, but I didn't partake because, again, not in horror. (laughs) All right, so Are You Afraid of the Dark was... You'd think it would be something that didn't scare me because at that age I was also watching Tales from the Crypt because my household was strange. Um, But I gotta say, a lot of the stuff in Are You Afraid of the Dark scared me more because it was more directed towards what would scare you as a kid rather than Tales from the Crypt, which was directed to more adult themes of things that would scare you. I Um, did watch Tales from the Crypt, so... Yeah, so so what they've done, if you guys didn't know, is Nickelodeon has rebooted um, or made a new version of Are You Afraid of the Dark. Have you you heard of this? Yes, and I've had people telling us we need to watch it. So I will give you the brief synopsis of what they did because people were like, well, what's it going to be? Is it going to be an anthology like Creepshow or The Twilight Zone or like a VHS kind of movie with a through line story? Is it going to be something inherently different? What they've done is they've they've kind of melded their format with kind of a Goosebumps, kind of how that Jack Black Goosebumps movie was done where this kind of the Midnight Society are now – have a, are the through line story. And so the story that got introduced that's told at the midnight thing where the midnight society meet is told by the new girl in school. So it's both a through line story about the midnight society as the main characters, but also does an episode of the show. Cause every episode of are you afraid of the dark was new girl moved to town and weird shit happens. Um, so this new girl moves to town and the midnight society is made up of all these kids you know the outsider kids as it always be in her school that are like the film nerd and the kid that's way too into horror movies and this girl's an outcast too but the reason she's outcasted is because her dreams and stories that she comes up with come to life and so she gets invited into the midnight society and tells this story about a nightmare she was having and the next day that shit's going down for real and they have to kind of solve it and go through it and try to figure it out as a group and it's incredibly well done and i imagine if they keep it going it's going to keep introducing new stories it's only two episodes in one of the best things about it is that the people making it my brother i guess knows the guy who's one of the executive producers and was like chris chris tell me how it is because the guy was really excited about it and it's really good and it's totally made by people that know what they're making the name of the town is argento the kids' last names are <laughs> Carpenter, Coscarelli, Craven. You know, they, they know what they're making. Um, yep. it, it, it's a blast, and I highly recommend it. And it's actually fucking scary, too. That's that's the other cool thing it has going for it. 
So. Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of people telling us, you're like, you guys need to do this for geeks who haunt. You guys need to do this for geeks who haunt. And we're like, okay, okay, we'll see what we can do. It's it's I damn good. Mixing, I think I was mixing that up in my head with uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, yeah, I, I got to see that. I gotta that, see a, that. That's the movie, right? That's yeah, the movie. Guillermo, All right. Guillermo del Toro and the guy that made the autopsy of Jane Doe made a movie out of it. Okay. Maybe uh, keep your eyes out for Geeks Who Haunt on that one coming up soon. Woohoo! Cross promotion for the win. All right, and I'll leave you at that. that that's my suggestion. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And, you know, holidays are coming up. Why not give the gift of podcasting? Why not share this podcast with a friend, family member, somebody you don't like? I don't care. Views or views. And because, well, just double down on this. Those views can be found at SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Pocket Cast. So, as always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. We'd like to thank Chris Chipman for coming on and joining us once again. And as always, stay honorable. <laughs>